Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to say thank you to our platinum sponsors, including Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. And Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is a good friend, Roger Mayo. Roger's a certified master athletic administrator, and he's the director of athletics for the Escambia County Public School System uh, in the Pensacola, Florida area up in the Panhandle. Roger, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jake. Looking forward to it. Uh, appreciate you having me on here. Well, uh, you know, we were joking earlier. You know, we're not uh, dodging any hurricanes right now in the Panhandle, so uh, uh, things are good. Let's go and jump right into it. Okay. We always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, uh, where you went to school and college, and and how your love of athletics uh, maybe led to this career in athletics. Well, let's see. Okay, I was I was uh, born in North Alabama, up in Gadsden, up there. Uh, but was three months old when my family moved to Florida. So I am basically Florida in nature because of that. But uh, we went through O'Galley uh, for about eight years, Fort Walton Beach for a couple of years, back to O'Galley for a couple, and uh, spent some time in, in Mississippi in middle school. And actually, my all my vacations were in North Alabama where relatives were at, but didn't live there until junior year of high school. So I only had two years up there, but uh, I was a force sport, play it all, you know, because I, if I couldn't kick it, hit it, catch it, throw it, you know, I had nothing to do with growing up like a lot of other people <laughs> in this business, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I went from football to basketball where I was kind of the hatchet man and, you know, then did, you know, baseball and, uh, even tracked at the same time. So, uh, so I, you know, like I said, that, that was my life. Uh, when I, when I graduated, I couldn't make a decision, which I love the most football or baseball. So I uh, ended up going to university of Georgia on a, on a scholarship. So I could play both sports because honestly, I wanted to go to Alabama, but uh, a guy named Bear Bryant said I couldn't play baseball there until I was a junior in college. He said, you give me two years and I'll let you try for baseball. So I chose Georgia because they convinced me I could do both, uh, both sports. So, so that's that's where I went. I played there for a year, you know, lettered in baseball as a freshman and came back my sophomore year and was told that was it. I was football only. So I 
end up leaving there and went to play baseball at Jacksonville State, which is you know in, in North Alabama, big big baseball school, and uh, played three years there. Drafted a couple of times, uh, very very fortunate, and ended up being a graduate assistant for a couple of years. And that was uh, that was that was that. Uh, first job I ended up being a superintendent of recreation in in Gadsden, and uh, that kind of that, that gave me some administrative responsibilities, working a lot of budgets and facilities and employees. And, but that was short-lived because I knew I wanted to get back into coaching. And so that was my first coaching job was up there at a school in North Alabama and, and did that. But uh, then uh, opportunity came up, helped with the situation, went through a divorce like a lot of people have, you know, and felt like I should get out of town. And so I ended up coming to Pensacola and taking a job at Escambia High School and uh, uh, working for a guy named Dwight Thomas. Some of you might remember that name from, from down here, but uh, uh, was a pretty doggone good football coach because we handed it and pitched it and tossed it to a guy named Emmett. And uh, so I got to coach him my first year there and thought I was really a good football coach that time. So, uh, but, but that was shortly because yeah, it, it didn't take long. I realized that baseball is where my heart was and, and uh, ended up, you know, taking the baseball job there a year later and actually was very fortunate. Uh, won a state championship my third season there. And uh, I mean, the rest was history. They had me stuck. I ended up there 30 years as a baseball coach, you know, 600 plus wins. And but along the way, I had a chance to become the athletic director and, and uh, I, I was willing and able to do that while teaching five algebra two classes at the same time. So, so I've been down that road and, and, and have a lot of good stories on it, but that's kind of where that all got started. Well, it's always great to hear these, uh, you know, stories, these journeys of everyone, you know, I got to know you, uh, you know, these last few years, uh, um, through FIAAA, and I knew you'd been quite a baseball coach, and I think you had mentioned that uh, you got to coach Emma Smith for uh, just a little bit. I think every football coach would have liked that opportunity, but uh, just uh, just great to hear, uh, you know, how we got to where we got to. Um, Roger, you already mentioned a couple of uh, your mentors, and in our business, leadership and mentoring are just so important, but uh, who are some of the other people that uh, you would count as uh, mentors in your career? Well, of course, I, I think uh, as as all of us, you know, starts with family, starts with your parents. You know, my parents taught me to love. They trained me to respect and they uh, demonstrated commitment. You know, and that's three things I think that, uh, that, that helped mold what I became today, you know, and uh, I wish we, I think we're lacking in that today. I think that's a problem we all face is from, you know, from coaches, administrators, where the tables aren't quite the same now as what they used to be. And so I'm very, very thankful for them. Uh, I, I was very fortunate. I had a lot of great coaches I played for that, that taught me a lot about the game and how to love the game. But, but as far as actual mentors, uh, you know, of course, the baseball coach at Jacksonville State was a tremendous fundamentalist. Uh, everybody that has ever played for him and went on has been very successful in the coaching ranks. Uh, many of them are Hall of Fame type guys now. And of course, so I thank him for that. And, and then of course, Dwight Thomas probably was one of the best mentors I've ever seen as far as coaching because 
he spent his entire career coaching coaches. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from that. You know, he taught them to love their players and, and, and how to do a lot of things other than just X's and O's. And I think that's important. But as far as being the, the athletic administrator side of it, I mean, I didn't have a clue what I was getting into when I took it, other than I knew basically what the basic work was, you know, eligibility, you know, organizing a few things here and there. But well, I learned in a hurry. And uh, I will say, I don't want to skip anybody because there's been so many. But that, you know, FIAAA has been a, was a godsend to my career. Um, but God, the, the, I guess the first three that really stuck out to me were, you know, Lannis Robinson, Andy Childs, and uh, Russell Wombles. And I mean, just on and on and on. But those are three guys that didn't hesitate to, you know, to share and to give back and, you know, just to demonstrate the servitude of what FI is all about. And I've uh, been, been very thankful for them, but I could name a hundred guys, you know, in, in my time. So it's been very important. Uh, you know, those names are very familiar to anybody uh, involved in uh, Florida athletics and uh, could certainly, you know, list those three as uh, helping me in my career as well. Um, Roger, you know, you were an AD there in Pensacola uh, at your own school, and now you're the the county, uh, the district AD, uh, overseeing several high schools. Um, what are some things that you feel that your coaches and your schools uh, in Escambia do particularly well? You know, as you look around the state or the country, you know, you can just say with pride, you know, well, we really do a great job with this. Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, knowing a little bit of the background because, you know, we, you know, we're, we're not one of the largest ones, but we're, you know, in, in the middle of the pack, you know, we've got 42,000 students and, you know, and uh, average, you know, about four to 5,000 athletes on the high school level or another 2,500 on the middle school level. So, so we're, we're, we're decent size, uh, but our athletic directors here teach, Full loads of classes, so it's 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 a real struggle, and and I, I just I, especially this year with what we've gone through, you know I applaud them tremendously because they've they've bought into you know how important it is to do things, you know in in an organized fashion and to do things, um, you know set ways, and, and that's kind of what we try to do is instill processes uh, to to be able to follow and do those things, but. But to be able to do it with little and no help and teaching the kind of class that some I'm still coaching has been a very, very tremendous thing. And I think it it just kind of accentuates how important it is to have that process and procedure. In fact, uh, you know, a couple of things off my bucket list this year, we were able to go to, you know, online registration with all of our athletes with cashless ticketing, you know, digital ticketing. And, and we were able to implement all of that in about a two week period, you know, after getting all this COVID, this virus situation that helped us with the, as a lot of other schools have done with social distancing and being able to, you know, keep people separated and do some good things that way. Uh, that's interesting. Let's go and jump into, uh, you know, the COVID response. Um, as we've been doing these interviews, uh, it's just been amazing to see the variety of responses around the country. Uh, you know, some states, 
have completely shut down athletics. You know, others have moved the seasons around, you know, baseball in the fall and football in the spring. And, you know, in Florida, you know, we've seen uh, you know, our own response. We delayed for a month and then, you know, some schools, you know, uh, readily reopened, anxiously reopened, and others are just now uh, reopening as we speak. So share with our listeners, you know, um, what's happening uh, in Pensacola as far as, you know, return to play as well as, you know, return to school. Well, uh, you know, we we were one of those that initially we were all in to get get started back, and uh, some somewhere along the line, our leadership uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, rethought their situation and uh, and and looked at the facts a little stronger, and uh, using as you well know, county by county had you know depending on what county you talk to, you had a different set of rules. There was nothing definitive out there to follow. So you started just gathering all these things up and trying to adapt it to what it looked like for your local area and, and do the best thing possible. And uh, we actually ended up delaying the start of athletics. We did go back, we did start back to on campus, you know, workouts and things like that. But we did what most people did, the small pods, the, the temperature scans, the, the doing the answering the questions. and and following that and, and working, you know, one coach for all day long with the same kid. You know, we did all those type of things. We didn't, we didn't go into weight rooms. We didn't go into locker rooms. So everything we did was outdoor activities. We tried to keep it, you know, that. And, uh, and then we did it back in. And then when it came time, you know, the state opened back up when to play, uh, our, our leadership, we voted. We didn't start back until 26th of September. So we put our sports off for another month to uh, our thing was we started school. Uh, they wanted to start school for a couple of weeks before we started playing games to see what was going to happen with the starting of school. And uh, you know, we've been very fortunate other than losing uh, two weeks to a hurricane <laughs> of which we've, we've been able to make up some of that. Uh, you know, we we've done really well, but, but this last three weeks, um, I don't know if you call it a the, the the new the new breakouts or whatever you want to call it, but we've had a couple of the schools in Santa Rosa and Okaloosa County that have had to shut down, in which some of our teams were playing them, and and now we currently have a program shut down here that's uh, ended practices or anything at all to do sports for the next week and a half at least to try to hopefully to which will allow them a chance to get into the playoffs. When, it, when time comes, so they feel like they shut down now. Maybe they'll have a chance later on. So, so that's where we're at now. So we, you know, but we still are doing the same things. We're still we have open locker rooms up. We've, uh, you know, we do have, you know, like the home team gets to go in there for, you know, dress twelve to fifteen at a time, and then they leave and more come in. But we aren't opening up visiting locker rooms on Friday nights. They're you know, they're coming to the game dressed. We provide restroom facilities and they stay on the field at, at, at halftime and end of the game, they're on a bus getting out of there. So we're, we're still keeping, you know, the locker room things under, under control as much as possible. And, and, you know, just as you, you know, you think about maybe, you know, open up some of this stuff, then you start seeing these things happen again. So, you know, I mean, there's no, there's, I don't think there's any right and wrong way of doing it. I think you just have to do what works best for your area. Uh, there are areas that are less impacted. 
you know, and they're they're doing fine with it. But um, you know, we, you know, Pensacola is a very transient town, uh, you know, a lot of big military town, but we also have uh, situations, and so we've we've had, you know, we have had many positive cases, but what we have has been in the older communities and and some of our older facilities like that. It's made us look worse than what it did, but. You know, we're all, you know, hopefully all of us together and doing the best we can. Have, um, have your teams had to um, cancel any games uh, internally? I know other schools, you know, in the Panhandle, you know, have had to cancel games for their own reasons. But have you guys had to cancel any? We just, we just did this week. Our, you know, <clears throat> we've had, we've had two cancellations when we were playing uh, out of county teams. That had situations that we had to cancel for that, but we now have one of our schools that is shut down today. Uh, they played it out of county school uh, two weeks ago, and now we have a couple positive cases at that particular school. One, even one cheerleader from that, and I think they kind of looked back at that game played versus that opponent. So you know, we've we've now shut them down today. Okay, well, good luck with that. Um, as, as we record this, it's the final week of October, uh, and we're in Florida. We're getting ready to transition into winter sports, uh, which is primarily uh, soccer, boys and girls soccer, and boys and girls basketball. Um, what are some things that you are already doing now uh, with your schools in planning for those sports to take off? Well, same same top situation where. We're going to limit the use of the locker rooms as much as possible. Uh, we've, we're going to try to do some, you know, social distancing in our our seating capacities in our gyms. You know, uh, right now we're looking at fit, you know we're looking at starting with fifty percent, you know, starting in there, and uh, uh, we're still, you know, we're going to still kind of maintain what we've been doing in football as far as concessions. Uh, you know, trying to to regulate what kind of what kind of things we're doing in concession stands. Uh, we're following all the protocol of what, you know, FHSA has sent out as far as winter sports and the officials have sent out for us, making some adjustments with the basketball and the pregame tip, and, you know, several things. We're going to try to, you know, follow along and do as much as we can on that. Uh, we're still going to try to limit travel to within our three-game, three-area, three-county area up here. Uh, and anything beyond that will be a case-by-case -case basis. That we might let anybody travel, but uh, so we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to do some of that as best we can. Well, um, Roger, another question we've been asking our ADs has had to do with this idea of, you know, social awareness and social justice. Uh, you know, last spring, you know, the tragic events in Minneapolis and Atlanta, and then you know, a couple months ago in Wisconsin. Um, and my question has been this, what are some things that we can do as athletic directors, you know, with our stakeholders, with our communities, what are some things that we can do better in this area of social awareness? I think uh, probably the biggest thing that we can do is, is really work harder on teaching our athletes how to respect each other, you know, teaching our athletes how to support each other. Uh, I don't think you have to bring up, you know, any one thing as far as certain certain race certain this anything else it's just you know we're all in this thing together you know we're you're out there fighting for a common goal 
And I mean, and I think that's the great part about athletics to begin with. That's what a lot of us do this for is because, you know, you don't, you can't teach the intangibles in a classroom that you teach on an athletic field or an athletic court. And so I think this is a perfect place for us to be able to, you know, to address that and work with our, our student athletes on that. I think that's probably the greatest reason why many of us do what we do as far as education-based sports, because it's the one place, uh, you know, I taught a lot of years in the classroom and I never got to talk about things in the classroom. I could talk about my locker room out in the middle of my outfield somewhere. So I think that's part of why we do what we do. No, absolutely. Very uh, good thoughts. Uh, let's go and shift gears a little bit. Uh, I know you, you're a district AD now. So, you know, um, one question I've been asking is, uh, you know, what's your favorite part of the job? And, and as athletic directors, you know, should say, oh, it's the kids. You know, I love being around the kids. And I know, you know, maybe in the district office, you don't get that as much as you used to. But what are some of your favorite aspects about being the uh, county AD? Um, what gets you excited about coming to work each day? Um, mentoring coaches. I think, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things here that you can talk about. Um, you know, how do you measure success of a coach? Some people might talk about wins and losses. You know, to me, the true success of a coach is longevity. You know, how long he stays there, how long he does what he does. And, and that doesn't happen by accident. You know, there, there's a lot of things go into that. You know, communication skills from dealing with, uh, you know, one of the things I push really hard with, with coaches is, is dealing with parents. You know, all these new coaches come up and, well, you know, this is the way it's going to be. I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to talk about playing time. I'm not going to deal with parents. I'm not going to do that. Well, unfortunately, if you're going to be a successful coach, you're going to have to do those things. You know, there's no way around it without it. And so, you know, I, I try to tell them, you know, coaches love their players. They want the best for their players. Parents love their kids and they want the best for their kids. And if you can't work together for a common goal, then you don't need to be doing what you're doing. Uh, doesn't mean, you know, you still call the shots and you still run the show. But you need to make parents become your supporters, not your adversaries. And I think the biggest thing with that is, is, is you know, teaching them, you know, better communication skills, uh, you know, just teaching them a lot of things about setting goals, be transparent with those goals, make sure your parents know. But, but going back to your first question is, you know, seeing a young coach start becoming successful, to me it's, it's it, you know, I don't get to coach those kids anymore and see the, the twinkle in his eye when he does something really good for the first time. But, but you know, I, I get to see those coaches. And I think if we're not doing that, education-based sports is in for a, a long, hard fight. Because if we're not developing developing young coaches, you know, the days of the guy staying for 30 years may not be there as much anymore because of all the challenges they have today's society and all the challenges put on it from from the teaching aspect of it as well. What they have to do is not just come to school and coach anymore. You know, now they have to actually teach their tail off and do a good job there too. So, so it's a it's it's a different world when it comes to those things as well. But it's so very important. I'm really glad that you shared that. Uh, you know, very good stuff. 
Well, Roger, you and I get to see each other quite a bit. You know, we're both on the board of directors for FIAAA. It was certainly my uh, honor, is my honor to uh, have followed you, uh, you know, as the president of this uh, great organization. Uh, but we're not done yet. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the new athletic director's toolbox. Uh, you've been uh, an athletic director for quite a few years, but right now I'm tasking you with sending out a brand new AD on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What three items are going to go in Roger Mayo's athletic director toolbox? <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a challenge in itself right there. Uh, okay, I guess... Probably my, my number one thing that I would teach new AD is to listen more than you speak. You know, you need to find out what's, you need to learn about the people you're dealing with. You need to learn about your community. You need to learn about your athletes. And you don't get that by sitting there talking all the time. And so I think, I think sometimes new ADs think, you know, they got to go in there and start immediately being the boss. But, uh, you know, and, and I guess one thing that, that, that sets that apart is that I had an administrator one time make a statement that any coach can become an AD. Well, you know, that's, in my opinion, just definitely not true. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of assistant coaches don't make good head coaches. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good head coaches that don't make administrators. And so I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, they don't, they just don't want to listen and they don't want to pay attention. So I think that's a big thing. Uh, I think probably number two is, is learn to be yourself. You know, uh, yes, mentorship is huge. It's, it's everything. Uh, I think you, you gotta, you gotta establish a network. You gotta get with some people. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, that's the whole purpose, you know, I could talk for hours on what FI place meant to me and what I've learned from them. And it's all about that, you know, setting up that network of, of help out there. And so you, you got to be willing to reach out to those people and get that. And again, that all, that's all part of that listening thing. You know, nobody's good enough to go up there and just dominate, do it, or you're going to, you're going to set yourself for, up for failure. Uh, yeah, I, I guess the that's a lot of things in one, but uh, next thing I think is, and, and I read this somewhere many, many years ago, and I've kind of tried to adopt it as one of my main things, and and I, I wish I'd remember who initially said it, but I think that a, uh, I think the greatest predictor of success is how well you use what I call OPE, which is other people's experiences. Uh, you know, and again, that sets apart what, you know, there's probably nothing happens to an athletic director that had happened to somebody somewhere before. And that's, you know, that's the important part about it. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know, take that information, adapt it to your own personality, but be yourself. And that's, so I think, you know, you know, listen, don't speak, be yourself. And then this may be off the wall from what some people would say, but you know, and and this is a person, just a personal belief of mine, because a lot of people may not agree with it. But I say, don't be hypocritical. You know, uh, I've I've never had a coach yet 
that I haven't listened to him at some point in time in his career talk to his players about trying to get better. Talk to his players about going to showcases and camps and getting private instructors and private lessons, and they push it, push it, push it. And then at some point in time, I asked that coach, I said, so how many of those things are you doing? If you're not willing to do them, why are you sitting there telling them to do it? You know, I mean, you know, you already lose the fact of, and yes, I'm, 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 I'm a short timer now. I've, I've done my due. I've got to, I was fortunate enough to be president and, and, and now I'm a past president on my way out of service, I guess, but uh, I still take classes. And I, people ask me, say, why do you take these classes? And I said, for the simple fact, I've never, you know, I'm never too old to learn. And nobody ever accused me of telling them or recommending them to take a class, go to a workshop, go to a conference, if I'm not doing it myself. So I, I just think that uh, that's part of silent leadership. You know, and I think that's kind of what, you know, that's, people have been around me, you know, I'm, I'm not a big talker. I mean, today I'm setting an example differently, but, but, you know, I think you have to listen. I think you don't be hypocritical. And I think you rely on other people's experiences to help you do your job. I think that's a great toolbox. Uh, and again, the, the listening part, uh, I wish that would have been given to me much earlier in my career, uh, you know, Great, great advice. Okay, Roger, thanks so much for uh, visiting with us today. Uh, you know, best of luck um, as you wrap up your fall sports and uh, on into the rest of the year. Thanks for having me. I look forward to just a time we can get back together. Yeah, hopefully that'll be our next board meeting uh, in January. But, uh, to our listeners, thanks as always for tuning in. Uh, remember the. Um, video version of this will be posted on the educational athletic youtube channel so uh continue to listen or to the podcast as well as watch us on youtube thanks again for coming we'll see you on the next episode of the educational ad